Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Decode. I'm joined by my co-host, John Gombin. Stacy. Stacy, do you want me to call you Stacy? I, I don't care what you call me. Death Van Gallup. So, cool. Um, yeah, so it's been a while, but hopefully we can touch up on some interesting stuff in this episode. What an invasion, huh? Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty... That was a, that, pretty wild, yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty justified, in my opinion. Yeah. Strange, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. The way they did it was, like, something out of a movie. You know, like, it, it was like, all of a sudden, somehow, this, like, force with little to no, like technological advantage is just like flying in on hang gliders yeah it's a pretty dramatic way to invade a country mm -hmm. <laughs> i was going to say i, don't I know love the you... footage of like the the people at the rave and they yeah, like, just nuts. need the gliders yeah and... that's oh. the crazy that's the craziest kind of part of the whole thing is having a a rave uh like couple miles away from one of the most like fought borders in, in the world is nuts yeah having a raid like a yeah. rave at an, in an apartheid state like that's ridiculous you could say yeah. that the the base is probably killer the base probably goes hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's just like i don't know there's something aesthetically that i think was pleasing to everybody to see like people running away from an Israeli burning man, you know, like that whole concept to me was like, wait, there was a burning man happening. I think just the attention that it's getting is pretty freaking wild. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's already getting like the same level of like media attention, like at least on Twitter as the Ukraine stuff. And to be fair, Ukraine, it's pretty like mainstream, obviously, but like the, I guess you could say like the carnage of it. Like I didn't see a lot of those graphic videos until like much later into the conflict. That's one of the odd parts about just like both this and Ukraine and going back for like a few decades now, it's just like war is now completely live streamed mm -hmm. on like telegram and you can mm -hmm. just watch the war happening. It's very like Baudrillardian, but in a weird way, it's like Baudrillard in like the Gulf war doesn't take place talks about how, like the war is like waged through media and how the media kind of like makes it seem like there's this narrative that isn't necessarily there whereas mm -hmm. like the whole telegram thing it's like yes there's like disinformation and whatnot but it's like boots on the ground like grassroots documentation of a war which i don't know if he would have i don't know if you kind of saw that coming that you could just live stream the war yourself in as little like noise or spin as possible, just like some guy's GoPro, you know, in the Azovs, you know, is like an interesting way to see a war. I kind of want to push back on that a little bit because um, like, although I, I do agree that it's a lot easier to kind of have like that quote in quotes, like citizen journalism, um, which I think has been like captured by like the liberal machine ever since the Arab spring. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it is, we're living now in the time of like the yes like that you can live stream a war or you can like post these messages on telegram things like that but it, in yeah. a way it's a, it's a lot like the the be real 
uh be Can real be, yeah, war yeah so Good that's way to put it that's like the baudrillardian like if we were to take his theory and like push it to 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 kind of like bootstrap it to our current events like it would be like it's not happening unless you like snapchat it or instagram it or something like that it's yeah that it, it only yeah. has a, a presence um in the zeitgeist if it's something that's postable yeah and that was shown with like the hamas is like I would say a large part of the invasion is like kind of a social media push, like their documentation of it and packaging of it, almost like advertising is like so interesting. Like as soon as they invaded, they have like, you know, professionally cut videos of like how they're making these flying machines or, you know, so on and so forth. It's like they have a certain idea that they're clearly fighting, you know, like hyper real war rather than a, necessarily a real one and that mm -hmm. they're going to have to like fight both you know in the information war and like literally fighting yeah there's certainly like the creation of a specific narrative through social media like instantly the stuff about like these these individuals that uh were victims of uh the the bombing just came out yeah um especially like the the woman at the rave and stuff and uh there is a cultivation of a narrative uh that uh israel wants to present yeah exactly do you guys know it's if, trying to oh, if they found the identity of that was it the chick that was at the rave was that like yeah they found a, they found a couple identified like ravers they mm -hmm. were either taken or killed because i i follow a couple and not to like dox myself i follow a couple of like super like right-wing accounts just to kind of have a post mm -hmm. on things and like yeah the amount of both like the support that anti-semites will have on palestine is crazy is crazy just yeah. because of it's a much... crazy horseshoe <laughs> it's funny to see. sometimes i'm completely lost in the info war because they were like there was these super long threads about how that girl from the rave is like not her and and all this thing and it's like <laughs> you can clearly tell that it's a man and i'm like yeah Bruh. wow that's, that's nuts that's nuts yeah crazy time for guerrilla insurgencies i was gonna say did you guys <laughs> everywhere see tweet i posted about the what's it called the, the palestine is taking back the wall no wall clipping from a thousand plateaus that the idf uses. yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's uh yeah guerrilla warfare well even like the ukraine conflict like the whole like, you can you it's can, also hyper guerrilla. Yeah, you can mm -hmm. like tank out like an entire multi-billion dollar tank fleet with just a couple of drones and some bombs. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty sick. Documenting taking tanks out with a drone is crazy. The whole asymmetry of it is has always been interesting to me. Like the whole concept of the Iron Dome is is kind of crazy and was kind of part of this strategy is you know, the Iron Dome, it takes like multiple millions of dollars to have one of those like hyper sophisticated things shoot down a missile that costs like 30 grand you know like they're just firing really cheap rockets and because they fired like five thousand of them a few of them got through but their like long-term strategy has just been like well we'll fire the rockets because then they have to keep spending like the millions of dollars to keep this thing installed you know it's just crazy to fight a war where like one side has literal iron dome and we're still like, well, they're they're kind of both even, you know. <laughs> one just like can't get hit by rockets, and the other one just gets hit by rockets all day, every day. 
Well, I also saw how the, like, the report, I'm not sure if it was quote-unquote fact-checked, CNN (laughs) fact-checked. The community knows (laughs) stuff. Yeah, I'm like, man, I hope I don't get... I don't. I hope I don't get blasted by the community notes every time I post something. Community out. notes will body you. Community wow. notes will fucking ruin your life these days. I was like, there was like, they they go fucking hard, dude. I saw someone. It's and, amazing. I love. I love. In the the it's tone. Crazy. The and then t- you realize that, that like before community notes, most of the things I was watching were just like blatantly not true, <laughs> you know, or like blatantly misrepresented. It's like some video. From I like saw one six today that was ago. like, "This is a video of Israeli children in cages." And then the community notes is like, "This is actually a video of Palestinian children in cages." Like, it's a very big difference. Um. But it was a report about how Ukraine arms were being sold to um, Hamas and certainty groups and how they that's how they acquired the weapons. And it was all funded through the United States. So, yeah, the United States obviously sends weapons, sells weapons. And then Ukraine obviously sells them back. But uh, I think it's just kind of like horse, not horseshoe theory, but it's just like I feel like this happens to the United States in every single proxy war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it always does. And like, uh, same goes for like United States obviously has huge, huge military industrial complex like money. But mm-hmm. like Israel is like, I don't know if it's their top industry, but it's one of their top industries is also like arms dealing. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny that it created a plane. But and then it creates this contradiction where like they have to sell it to somebody, you know, mm-hmm. so like they ended up doing a uh, they sold some to the United States of this like plane. And then the United States was going to do a deal with Iran, you know, like give these planes to Iran. And Israel had to be like, all right, you can give them that, but you have to take out like the extended fuel tank so they can't use it to bomb us. You know, <laughs> it's like such a strange, you know, connection between things. Kind of reminds me of that episode we did on um, Berilio about the kind of like the metaphysics before. Yeah. Um, air superiority. He would be going nuts over the air superiority <laughs> stuff today. <laughs> Because that, I mean, they literally did establish air superiority in, like, a very novel way mm-hmm. with the fucking hang gliders. And then Israel is just like, all right, well, we'll have F-22s just drop a thousand tons of bombs on residential neighborhoods. So if there was that's like, a different type of air superiority. If there was, like, a death to the whole notion of, like, a, a walled city state, if that, if yeah. that, if that yeah. notion had died, yeah. it truly was, like, rotting and massacred and decaying with what they did with those uh, paragliders yeah it's just nuts it's just nuts like that that's been allowed to like exist for so long without like without allowing like a reasonable debate on it like it's been just a a complete like media stall on having any serious conversation about Mm -hmm. israel palestine for like what 50 almost 50 years now like since this shit started popping off Yeah, but Mossad probably has a, a, a fucking sick Project Mockingbird program. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they really have a really good one. But, um, yeah, I guess I, I I'm I'm interested to see how it'll all pan out. Um, I think it's just going to be another prolonged conflict, like in Ukraine. But uh, there's a, like a lot of like neocon support from. Well, there's a lot of support from neoconservatives here in the United States, so I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, it's kind of weird 
um the yeah. the timeliness of it all because obviously the the ex- the military expansionism comes for the democrats is like from ukraine so i can see how this is going to yeah. be like a talking point for cool. republicans yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's it's going to be pretty uh pretty challenging i bet we'll give aid in some form and we already do but yeah. <laughs> i bet we'll give I, them a shit ton of arms i mean like biden today was like well, talking about his support for israel and stuff mm-hmm. so it's like yeah the real question is like hopefully i mean iran has like had like tacit support for hamas but like if it if it gets worse you know if it gets any worse then you have the potentiality of like iran then fighting a a proxy war too with israel which would be like probably decades long or at least very destructive but they got uh our boy uh kassam Soleimani back back a few years back. Do you remember that? He was like the head of the Iranian military's like foreign fighters. And he was like a military genius and like a hero in Iran. He got yeeted. And right? is Israel just yeeted him off the <laughs> face of the earth. Oh my God. And they they're still pretty upset about that. That was where that quote comes from, where they're like, you know, we can't they were like, they killed a hero of ours, and like, how do you like you know, who are you going to kill in the United States that's, like, equal to that? They're like, you can't kill, you know, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah, we have nothing. SpongeBob, we... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, who would you kill? Capitalism, yeah. They still have, like, a god emperor, you know, m- you know, like, honored soldier. Can't kill McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't kill McDonald's. You can kill the brand. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of weird, the, that asymmetry. Like, mm-hmm. you have to, like, kill, a, you have to cancel a brand for it to have, like, a social impact. As opposed to, like, yeah, that is. I mean, that's how like weird, like pop solidarity st- stuff starts coming out now. Like, it's yeah. it's really like corny when like liberals are like, they're only the only extent to them vocalizing any support for like, you know, Palestine is like canceling celebrities <laughs> to support Israel <laughs> and just having like these threats out. Like, Kylie Jenner supports Israel. Chris Jenner supports Israel. Well, of course they do because they're like product. Yeah. Was it? I think it was Kylie Jenner that deleted the, her story for in support of Israel, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> I, I saw someone being like, you know, Bella Hadid was just lighting her ass up in the group chat with mm-hmm. <laughs> some facts about Palestine. Yeah, I think the whole, even like the whole social media like support, like we stand with Israel, like that whole idea which it's kind of twofold because at the same time you have people like benjamin brand <laughs> getting his fucking ass fire fired by everyone on twitter because of his lukewarm take <laughs> and then you yeah. have you know the influencer like the mega elites who are like obviously siding with whatever's probably going to end up being the mainstream narrative in our media yeah, yeah. whatever's money in their pocket yeah so yeah it's just uh the, like on top of that like the i just like i have like this weird gripe with like pacifism especially like international pacifism oh, from like united states leftists it's like because it's like that's that both sidesism doesn't make sense in the context of like well one side is living under a constant like you know normal state of violence yeah like both on the surface and you know you know deeper on a daily basis and so their response to that violence is not, you know, 
you can't equate the two, you know, yeah. it's like saying like, you know, after someone gets like beat up and they throw one punch and you're like, well, why'd you hit him? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, come on. It just doesn't make sense like to equate or like to be, because all I'm trying to say is that like, when you, when you kind of like, like say that you're a pacifist in that way, that it's actually like endorsing a certain side's violence over the others, even though you're trying to be like, oh, it's both bad. You know, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, violence inherently is constantly like worse or better or like, you know, it's rarely like a zero sum game of like violence here is equal to violence there. You know, nah, bro, we had to be pacifists in World War Two, bro. We we just yeah. we couldn't if, if we were we, we were back then, we wouldn't we wouldn't go against Nazi Germany, bro. They weren't that bad, bro. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there's two sides to every story. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, my brother in Christ, is the state of Israel is literally an ethnos an, a genocidal ethno state. Yeah. Imperial ethno state. Yeah. It's pretty hard to like say it's anything else. I feel like even the people who are hardcore Israelis are like, Yes, of course it is. We should be. You know, no one's yeah. like pretending that we're not dealing with like an ethno state and an apartheid state yeah it's just pretty crazy it's like you don't have to be anti-semitic to be anti like imperial <laughs> like th right. they're not they're not synonymous like right yeah um
I did, are you guys gonna read like out of out of uh, just you know curiosity the new bat book the selective, the selective reading. reading no yeah it looks horrible <laughs> it looks trash. what what are you guys talking about I haven't heard about this the, the, you wait so you haven't you heard, haven't about heard of this the new bat book well, it's bat but it's written under his real name Constantine uh, Constant... Alamu or something. Alamu or something. Well, yeah. I saw that he was like it's written under selfie posting now, but he's dating Dasha supposedly. That seemed like it was always going to happen. Yeah. Dang, rip crumbs. <laughs> Dude, yeah, rip crumbs. That was so funny. That's a great way. That was like probably the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Just to be like, you know, I'm canceling myself. You know, I've done wrong or whatever, and then just like expecting that to be like his way out mm -hmm. is, is very odd it, it just showed like his lack of like any sort any sort of like backbone intellectual backbone like dude you have like oh, you had zero had skin in the game you went back on your principles he, like he's clearly a narcissist i read that like tay or ty lee mm -hmm. wrote like this thing about her time with him and like her descriptions of him are just like so cringe like him mm -hmm. as a person he also like has a wife like a migrant wife uh, from yeah. Germany and he like cheats on her and like makes her do all the house chores. I was like, what the fuck? For, for some like neo-fascist pussy or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <awesome>. exactly. <laughs> for this Great yeah, guy. fucking dweeb, you know? I like how... Yeah, but the Red Crumps thing was always never going to last because it's like, what's odd is I feel like Crumps kind of built Dime Square by being just like the perspective of the other or like the critic, you know? Mm -hmm. And he always pretended like, oh, I'm just like critiquing these people. And it's like, well, it's your whole social life now, you know? And he's just like, oh, and then like they're humiliating me and whatnot. It's like, yeah, you're just, you're literally a gadfly. You're a human gadfly to like this fascist movement that you pretend to hate and yet are just like living off of their shit you know they're, they're out. you, you <laughs> yeah. attend their parties and you're yeah like, you go to oh, their yeah. parties you do their yeah, drugs this you is know. bad but yeah I, mean, uh, I don't i didn't like it i didn't really <laughs> like it you know it's like i didn't like all this free coke. <laughs> yeah i hated the free coke you know Whatever. like come on dude like and then pretending that you're like some sort of like deep political like almost activist Ow. figure yeah. like the amount of narcissism you have to have to like kind of have that delusion is pretty astounding but it seems to add up if you like read anything about him yeah i think that's with like everyone in Di like the dime square whole like scene yeah it's just like mm -hmm. nepo it just screams nepo babies <laughs> it's nepo. well it is you know his dad is like his dad is like a huge executive at like i don't know if it's lockheed martin or like northrop gunman but he's like a trust fund kid of military people damn arms dealers makes it's sense like, all right yeah that makes sense um i guess i'm interested to see what you guys have been i feel like i always ask this question but what have you guys uh been researching or reading um uh, i've been rereading uh for class uh um being in time by heidegger this is my That's second great. time reading it but it's a Big. class focused exclusively on that so nice. i've mostly been doing that um but in terms of like other books uh i've been i reread robinson crew so recently for another class and why do they always make you do that in my grad school i never understood the robinson crusoe like 
I get, you know, I understand, I guess, why they teach it, but it's like, it's like canonical in every program. It's, it's quite canonical. Um, I think like Robinson Crusoe provides uh, an interesting look into the sort of uh, narrative, how, how narrative it was written in literature. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first account of like, sort of like, oh, like first person, uh, sort of uh, journal writing tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stems from a lot of like the, what was the Protestant uh, tradition of journal keeping such mm-hmm. that to uh, keep count and repent for uh, moral and virtue. Mm-hmm. And it reflects that tradition. It's, it's an interesting book. I find it quite fun. <laughs> it certainly has that like element of like, oh, here's this man as an individual dominating and asserting nature. like a conquest over nature yeah it's also very enlightenment principle yeah and like like it's like the it's like a allegorical tabula rasa of like <laughs> society being restarted or like just started and how yeah. how it went and that's why society should work this way kind mm-hmm. of thing um uh, i've been deep diving analytic philosophy again just because oh yeah you know, still uh, in it yeah I think I think as I've gotten older <laughs> for some reason I found analytic much more enjoyable to read because mm. I sometimes I don't want to sit down and um try to like f- make my my way through like four pages of Hegel and be like yeah I guess I get what this says um yeah. when I can just read like you know 15 page 30 page paper and be like okay I actually know what this said um, yeah. So I can find some of the exercises there more enjoyable, but I do find the hyper specificity of like analytic research to be kind of like, how do, what like why do I care about this? Like I don't need to have an opinion about my position on uh, like modal logic or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah just been see. just been doing some analytic reading. Still been doing what some. Have you been reading? Um, like... What well, was reading some papers by Nozick? Um, so oh. that's just fresh on my mind, and some replies. I think I want to say it was Caruso, but definitely Rawls because like Rawls is like his biggest like contemporary mm-hmm. rival. Yeah. Um, but I've also been looking at some like philosophy of math. Um, yeah. Sometimes I reread some papers by um, Paul Benesra. About the mass raft problem. Yeah, that's a great mathematical problem. Um, and then I got a book by uh, John Searle. It's an introduction to Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Yeah, kind of not not been going too far into the. I've been I've been actually wanted to talk to you about this uh, to both of Mm -hmm. you if you guys have read Agamben's. It's it's old now, but. It was new at the time. Agamba's new, new essay. It just came out um, like earlier this year. I, I may may have, but I'm I may be thinking of another one. Oh, I know that he came out with that recent book this year on Holderlin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what which essay. Oh. I read like a translated blog essay. 
Let me see if I can find it real quick. What what does this one say? Like what does he say in it? Um, I I'm, I have no idea. I haven't I haven't I haven't touched it or read it. But I was oh. wondering if you guys <laughs> if you guys had. I mean, it's just it's like Zizek. Agamben writes so many like small pieces okay. that I'm like I don't I can't keep up. Yeah, he's he's very prolific. There's um I was at a bookstore recently and I guess Agamben recently put out a book on like Pinocchio, an illustrated picture book on Pinocchio. Oh, that's sick. <laughs> um, I want that. <laughs> yeah, and it was I I didn't get it, but I thought I thought that was quite funny. I was gonna say so that sounds pretty cool. I would get that and put it on my coffee table. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a fun one. And I like Pinocchio a lot. Did you guys watch the Guillermo del Toro version of Pinocchio? I haven't yet. I, have I haven't yet. Good thing. It's good. It's good. What have know. you been reading, Young? I've been reading a few things. I I feel like uh, been on a kick of like reading a lot of like Freemasonry shit, like. Uh, history of it and like some of the classical works and like iconography and stuff mm. it's pretty interesting yeah it's like it's like easy to get lost in like the curiosity towards it because mm-hmm. it's all like it's all like very interesting and mysterious mm-hmm. and there's so many like crazy theories that you can kind of like get into i read one um because the freemasons like kind of uh have a uh, deep association with this the like Sirius the star Sirius uh, Sirius A and B so there was this like tribe that supposedly got contacted by some beings from this like Sirius planet and they taught them all about it and it's like the they knew like the, the astronomy of it before we had like the technology to understand that there was like two Siriuses like Sirius A and B but there was like a black hole Mm-hmm. um that made it like very hard to understand like where this would be because you can't see it by like the visible eye but you can detect it through like gravity that there must be another planet there so they like somehow knew this information and they were like oh yeah these like beings came and they you know told us all this stuff and they gave us our like mystery religion um and then freemasons are like really obsessed with Sirius and they have like their own iconography with it and and one of the freemasons is like they claim that there's a higher stage of initiation uh, like held on Sirius, like with this alien race for like your final stage of like, they call it like cosmic masonry, which I was like, that's a fucking crazy. That's like Scientology levels of lore. I was going to say that sounds a little bit like, not not necessarily, but it sounds like (laughs) Poseidism. It sounds like Freemason Poseidism. Yeah, masonry, like, I don't know, it just, like, gets intertwined with every other kind of, like, occult movement, so it's hard to disassociate it from that. But, like, it also just, like, it feels very theosophical, and it feels, like, it feels pretty openly, like, but, like, positively Luciferian, where they're, like, you know, we're we're here to, like, basically build the remainder of hell, you know? I was going to say, because your Twitter name still... Uh, so has Rosicrucian in the yeah that's yeah. that's my favorite I mean I I'm not like associated with an actual Rosicrucian sect mm-hmm. um, yet I was gonna go I was gonna go see this one in Chicago that's pretty nuts it's like in a strip mall 
what? yeah it's like a, a rosicrucian temple but yeah rosicrucians are really interesting the history of it is like really really interesting dating back to like early 16th century elizabeth of bohemia and frederick of bohemia who are like these these uh prince and princess of bohemia and like historically they started the kind of the first like freedom of religion area and they were both occultists and there's like they, their whole house was just full of like hyper advanced like gadgetry and stuff mm -hmm. through through doing like all kinds of magic and whatnot and they also started like this rosicrucian order which is like the, the this movement it's like kind of like a religious political movement that had a lot to do at the time with like freeing people from like the UK and France and religious tyranny and all that. And it, it became like hyper popular and all of it was kind of anonymous and whatnot to the point where like even Descartes mm -hmm. uh, for seven years, he left where he was living, which I forget at the time to go try and find the Rosicrucian brotherhood. Um, and he claims he never found them, but then he comes back like seven years later and he, like his Cartesian philosophy is basically the opposite of like the Rosicrucian philosophy, you know, that was being banned at the time. So it's mm -hmm. all just like a very interesting historical and like there's still Rosicrucianism today. And it, it's basically a combination of like uh, Christian Platonism, you know, like white magic, um, Kabbalah and mm -hmm. alchemy, you know? Yeah. And it gets subsumed into masonry. You can do like a Rosicrucian thing within the Masonic like degrees, you can do a Rosicrucian degree, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, it's just like a pretty long standing um, order that mm -hmm. was started by these like hyper, like progressive kind of like uh, religious uh, pioneers that ended up being, you know, killed. It, the order like in its time and place fell apart because then they were invaded and Bohemia was like, overthrown and they put them both to death you know mm -hmm. so it's like this this just like short-lived 20-year like reign of like you know white magic in bohemia that's pretty interesting i guess just with that i guess where do you guys stand with like um like theology or like philosophy like where those intersect like uh has that changed for you guys since we last had a conversation on uh negative theology or Oh, I like, I always think like theology is like intertwined and inextricable with uh, philosophy. I mean, oh, uh, several of like these great philosophers mm -hmm. studied to be theologians first and then came into philosophy. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't changed much in the views that I expressed in that episode, but I will say, I think I've drifted more towards a curiosity towards like a, like a unified theory of religion and like, you know, like uh, mysticism that I'm more interested in, like the differentiation between different, you know, uh, knowledge that's presented as gnosis that's supposed to be like this one thing that gets, you know, turned into several different things with still like kind of universal qualities about them mm -hmm. that that kind of has been interesting more interesting to me more in terms of religion than like i don't know like reading a bunch of christian theology which i do love 
but you know the the comparative study of religions has been like for me a little bit more in intellectually interesting since we last talked more like a perennial mysticism something like that yeah perennialism is, i mean is, is an interesting way to put it but also just like the syncretism of like how religions are made and how they kind of like hold within them you know um sublations of the religions that are prior or that they were either yeah. like you know in opposition to or grew out of and you kind of start to see like it, for me it's like there's there's a deep like archaeology of religion that points towards like more clear pictures of like what religion is mm-hmm. um than like the interpretations of like the various offshoots of the same like general perennial yeah. principles of religion Gotcha. Yeah, there's like certainly um, what I guess you would call like the universal unconscious, like governing yeah. motifs that dominate all religions. And so you get, when you sort of like understand it comparatively, you see these certain like patterns in one religion that's continuous with sort of how it might be interpreted in another religion. And that's like the most interesting part. Yeah, you yeah, I completely agree. World spirit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Deeply, deeply world that. historical. Mm-hmm. I like agree with Rudolf Steiner's kind of approach that he came up with, like anthroposophy, is what he called yeah. it. Yeah, and just reading all scripture and all kind of revelation through, like, uh, you know, like a new kind of lens. Mm-hmm. Like reading everything as equal scripture in unraveling the you know uh you know the 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 challenge of symbolism itself of like the movement of symbols and the use of symbols um in religion and on the unconscious i think is an interesting way to approach the history of images in general yeah i think that's very um i guess like i'm not sure how much you've looked into like um something like hinduism but like would you say that even Mm -hmm. hinduism would be like sublated into into this worldview or do you think that hinduism is the closest that gets to um mapping that worldview like because you know like hinduism for the most part gets seen as like this uh pluralistic um uh religion Yeah. It's interesting. I wish I knew a lot more about Hinduism than I do. And I'm, I'm like not very knowledgeable about Hinduism, although from what I do know, it's all like deeply interesting. And I think like Hinduism has like a, a special secret to it um, that is necessary in understanding like polytheism as like a materialism that like the gods are everywhere. There can be gods for anything. You know, and Hinduism is kind of like the genius of that. Um, And it's just interesting to learn about how Hinduism then can be, you know, cross-related to different, uh, like, Western symbolisms and whatnot. Like, like for instance, we have, like, Lilith, you know, like, technically, like, the the other half, the female half of Lucifer or his sister or his lover. I mean, it depends on how you understand it allegorically, but... 
Lilith, you know, is known to like uh, turn uh, women kind of against men, and she like survives off of like men's semen or like the like extracting men's semen in like basically like in a fo- in a form of like taking their vitalism. Leotard right? pilled. And yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you have like Kali, you know, or is it Kali? Kali, I think it is Kali. Yuga? Yeah. yeah, who like also like uses similar tactics and she collects like the heads of men, you know? And you just have like, these are deep, like collective unconscious representations of like, you know, our own understanding of the world and humanity. And yet they seem to like represent almost like universal concepts that are told through different different types of allegory that all have very similar stories or similar you know iconography do you see the study of comparative religion uh like do you try to do that more from like a materialist take or um i mean or not necessarily no not no not i mean strictly tied I, to it i understand that but i you know for me it's more of an interest so it's more like i'm not trying to be so scientifically rigorous to like you know, uh, analyze religions. For me, it's more of like a personal interest of like, how do I approach religion? And how do I, you know, move forward with my own like spiritual curiosity, and trying to like, you know, understand more about how I feel about these like more cosmic or like mystical Mm -hmm. subjects. Um, So I'd say no, I mean, this isn't like an academic, you know, interest (laughs) or like work. Um, But you know, I, I do think like comparative religion is very interesting. Although I think in like the university setting, you get a whole lot of like comparative religion in favor of like creating universal moralisms of like, being, yeah. like oh yeah, like, you know, Judeo-Christianity is very much like these other things or like, you know, like just kind of like progressing through like, well, all religions are equal when in yeah. reality, like you're kind of just making up a moral universality that doesn't necessarily apply to those religions, but that you're kind of like, you know, historicizing and making your own spin mm-hmm. on it in, in, in a lot of cases. Um, so I, I think the better comparative religion courses, if you're like in college or something, are like taking oddly enough, like courses and just like things you've never heard of before, mm-hmm. you know, like some, some strains of religion that you haven't heard of before that's taught by someone who's an expert on it, who mm-hmm. like might give you like, yeah, this is kind of like, uh, you know, X or Y. But when you, when you come to somebody who's had their own unified theory of religion, you kind of lose some of the the luster of understanding like the actual differences and how those are important rather than necessarily just the universalities of like religions and what why they're you know similar or different yeah i guess you could say like the that like you said that presupposition the objective presupposition always uh like devalues or has to like in a sense water water down the worldview like the respective worldviews um to do the comparative analysis but yeah exactly and you know people's reading of religion is always usually like fairly small when it comes to like the grand history of some religion so mm-hmm. you're always getting like someone's subjective opinion of that mm-hmm. religion almost primarily rather than some sort of like scientific material analysis you know mm-hmm. uh, of what that religion means yeah and like like you said young reading it for like it's it's moral or normative implications rather than just reading it for the sake of like 
attempting to understand like uh, what what's underlying like all these motifs that are continuous throughout like human history yeah yeah like the, the worst kind of that is just being like you know like oh someone like someone like zeus is bad you know it's just bad <laughs> that he did that thing and it's like yeah like to our morals but like the whole allegory it's a symbol you know it's yeah. not like he actually like committed these acts the acts are a symbol for like how things were created yeah. through the combination of these other allegorical symbols so it's like crazy to me to be like we're looking for a morality in these religions you know mm -hmm. it's like well no that's not the point of them that wasn't the point of them at the time you know it might be for christianity it's like a deeply moral religion mm -hmm. but religion is not necessarily some sort of like moral uh you know Think, moral yeah. good you know where people get their moral good it's more mm -hmm. of like a relation to the cosmos and a rel relation to like spirit yeah you know human spirit itself mm -hmm. it's a, it's a relationship to to creation and like uh time and like that yeah history. exactly exactly it's a really yeah a relation to all those things that becomes creative you know over time so mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really interesting it's also like you know it's astounding that like we haven't really had many new religions you know scientology i think is a rather interesting like new religion that yeah. should be like studied as such you know even even if it is like you know this like grand psyop which <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean you could argue most religions are a grand psyop that's why it's interesting to be like scientology is a true religion and like how it operates you know in its cosmology it's it's like people make fun of it but it's like rather rational and like rather like you know makes sense in the grand scheme of things um compared to any other religion it's like interesting that new religions don't really take on as much force anymore when you would think that people are yearning for something novel spiritually yeah but i think like it it, it, it seems to be a product of like what social media people like worshiping like celebrities or idols rather than like you know seeing anything to derive like spiritually from it like, right like the ritual um, is still there or something but yeah yeah ritual and like desire to to see someone as a higher power but it's no longer like in a religious contact or divine yeah. contacts it's com completely like secularized yeah secularized and also like it's interesting like you know Zizek has this point like that religion and ideology this point of like oh I don't know what I'm doing but I do this you know mm -hmm. like I don't necessarily believe that I'm supporting this thing but I'm still doing this thing and I think ritual is very important for like worship or or just like you know the the creation and sustaining of what we would call gods or like just energies in general and I think it's it, it's just like deeply interesting now that um you know we do have like a bunch of religions that are deeply moral and that we all adhere to but in 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 all like in, in the material kind of like analysis of what religion we actually are is like we're we're the same as like when they worshiped mammon you know mm -hmm. like it's the same one where like you know you can say what you will but what we do is like we love eating things you know and we love mm -hmm. like you know consuming things and that's our religion is like you know praying to mammon that we like keep getting these things that we like you know and it's like it's hard to rectify um this kind of like secularization of religion because like the rituals are still there you know 
-hmm. like the the worshiping of certain gods is still there it's just taken away from its religious context and created into this weird unconscious process where like no mm -hmm. now you're just buying things you know yeah. or you're like you know things become rather like just pointless rituals that you don't really know why you're doing it rather mm -hmm. than like something that is directly you know uh an intentional choice to worship you know your god who you think your god is um i guess with with that um stacy i know that you mentioned in the past that you had a certain attraction to like catholicism and catholic aesthetics uh do you think that has changed um since the last time we talked or has that moral um moral yeah for sure i i think i'm attracted to like certain virtues in catholicism especially uh it's the primary primacy it places in comparison to like other strains of christianity on like saint saintliness and sainthood but i i much like young have just academically been more interested in uh, a comparative approach to to religions. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, I've diversified a bit. <laughs> I always get like kind of like the birthday blues. So uh, instead of like seeing anybody or like even calling my family, I just drove to uh, upstate New York. Where was it? Wappinger Wappinger Falls, and bought a boat off this old guy instead, and then uh, took it for a nighttime cruise. And uh, went to bed. That was the birthday this year. Not bad. Sometimes I cruise over there. Sometimes we cruise over there. I don't know how to set the sail up, though. It has a sail, but uh, I can't figure the ropes out. So, so someone's going to have to come and show me the ropes. <laughs> Could you lose? 
To, to ask you because we mentioned Lilith uh, I finally watched Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 and I wanted to hear your thoughts on it because uh, you told me that you similarly cried as well and enjoyed it um, yeah I mean I really I, Young did you watch the new Neon Genesis Evangelion I think you I've watched the show. I never watched End of Evangelion. Gotcha. Um, I really liked it. I really liked the the newest one. Um, that whole <laughs> the whole um, the the callback to End of Ava, but using like a live action, um, mm-hmm. like a ray or whatever was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um. Um, I guess I, I'll I'll turn the question back to you. What do you feel? How do you feel about the ending itself of this the series? Do you think? I mean, obviously, it's much more hopeful. It's a it's, you know, it is the end. So much more life affirming <laughs> than end of Evangelion. Um, so I I loved it a lot beyond just being a fan fan of the franchise and seeing this as a, a more conclusive ending to, uh the entire series um and you know like majority of the rebuilds up till that have been like very disappointing right and so i i think i i loved it in a sense that there in the evangelion franchise there's these like recap movies called uh death and rebirth of the original tv series they're like short ovas but if we think about um, like the end of Evangelion as like death in the the negative sense with with n- no rebirth, you see like kind of this like re- final rebuild as like the death and recreation um, of like I don't know of everything, and I I, I just really like. <laughs> I was gonna ask you. I, I thought it was life informant. Do you do you see the series of Evangelion as like a a deeply, <laughs> like a deeply uh, Deleuzian, uh piece of, uh, oh, like pop culture? Because like, for me, like with the like, because I really like the illustration that you put up where the end of Ava is kind of like this death, and then with the rebolts you get this like aspect of rebirth. But it's always within this like cycle of amor fati, um, which is you know like mm. the, the eternal recurrence. Um, yeah. Do you feel? Do you feel like in a way it mirrors that the notion of amor fati that Deleuze postulates in difference and repetition? Yeah, I mean it is like 
the the rebuilds if you think about it in the context of like having this like prefix of re it is reoccurrence it is repetition um and so and you might say that like yeah the final rebirth is like true difference i don't know <laughs> finish uh difference and repetition but i can i can say so like, do we <laughs> i mean cute <laughs> we're supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> uh, like series on difference and repetition for like two years now <laughs> so long I, I think it's quite Deleuzian and I also think uh, it's obviously very Freudian um, but there's also a Heideggerian element to it. it it's just like a very rich series and movie so, yeah. what, what is like the connection with Lilith because I've only I saw like the Lilith symbol, and I never really understood why they were using that. So, do you guys know like how that's used in the show? The like uh, uh, the triangle going down with seven eyes. Yeah. Uh, so, if I remember, Ray is Lilith in mm-hmm. in the show, and Ray is a creation of uh, uh, Shinji's father, Gendo Ikari. Sorry, mm-hmm. these are spoilers. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I like that though because I just didn't quite understand why she. Um, but she yeah, so interesting. I mean, the creator did and, say and she also symbolized. Yeah, go ahead. No, so, sorry, I was just gonna say the creator did say he used a lot of Christian symbolism just because it's cool. But yeah, and also well, this leads back to the point about like comparative like religions, right? I mean, beyond just the Christian symbolism, he uses, like, the image of the Kabbalah in the opening yeah. scenes. And so uh, there's this idea that, like, something like, you know, Christianity, Judaism, and also, like, these themes that he deploys with regards to, like, Freudian psychoanalysis to images of the moon and the unconscious, like, mm-hmm. those all factor in into his, like, this whole creating a narrative and show and so like yeah i i guess this affirms the idea that like sort of there is something to be derived when you study religions comparatively and yeah. formulate a narrative on your own about it yeah i always yeah, saw... and it usually ends up ends up turning everything into aliens which is <laughs> true it's like scientology too it's like okay well religion's always... true but it's actually a guy named xenu and <laughs> He populated the earth and then lost a war, and then your soul recycles once you go back to what's the, I forget the name of the planet. Do you guys like Fate, uh, uh, know any Scientologists or like anybody who like follows that shit? I don't um, know any Scientologists, unfortunately. You should get or into thankfully, it. You should, you, should yeah. do, you should do one of those like they do this like intro thing. They have these kind of like fake machines, and it's like they're called e-readers and they just like ask you like very like prickly questions and then they're like it seems like you have a lot of bad energy you know they're like the e-reader is off the chart (laughs) and you're just like they're like do you want to solve this you know (laughs) and then there's like layers and layers and layers and you have to like be it's like a military intelligence thing because you know what's hubbard was naval intelligence so like Mm -hmm. it's all kind of structured like like one of those like intelligence units where it's like everything is compartmentalized all the way to the top mm-hmm. and so like you get things revealed to you you know once you reach a certain rank just like masonry or anything else mm-hmm. well it's okay. it's a it's a modern it's a modern day religion young it has to have a sense of hierarchy 
Exactly. Or else it's not. Exactly. Oh, I guess not necessarily because you wouldn't survive. Because Buddhism, its whole thing have is have an inherent hierarchy, yeah. but kind of. Buddhism has hierarchy, but Buddhism has hella hierarchy. But it's not Between like the monks and whatnot. I guess that's true. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess all all religion has some. But they notion. they have kind of good hierarchy. They're like this guy is probably more enlightened than me, so I'll let him, you know, run this place. Well, talking talking about Buddhism, um, like. I always felt like, and you guys could correct me if I'm wrong, but I always felt like Evangelion was kind of like the, like like a material Christianity. Like if Christianity was true, um, yeah, it would take form in that like material angels and like um, obviously like fucking rapture would be your your body turning into Fanta. Um, yeah. <laughs> like. I always, I always felt like it was a very like I could, it could, I could map on my Christian beliefs when I was younger, very easily onto like Ava. Like, obviously yeah. it has like an eschatology, mm-hmm. but like, I always felt like, man, Ava, you know, is like, that's kind of how I wish the end of the world would be like. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, it's exactly like Rapture, you know. You get to swim in the Fanta, yeah. <laughs> if you read Revelations, it's like super sci-fi. Like, it gets, like, very weirdly sci-fi. Like, my favorite part, I th- I think, is in Revelations, they're like, yeah, Jesus is going to come back with, like, a city, but it's just, like, this, like, 150 by, like, 150-mile golden cube spaceship that he's just going to kind of park to, like, rescue people. I'm like, that's fucking badass. <laughs> they gave Jesus a spaceship in Revelations. Yeah, they have, like, a lot of, like imagery like that um i mean even like the fucking angels like they they the seven horns that they they blow and shit but um or like yeah. jesus comes I'll... back and he has like a sword coming out of his mouth and i'm like bruh yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a weird mix of like when we read things like seriously especially the bible like it's all just like strangely enough it's it's all like making mathematical points about spirituality oh absolutely. right and that's like the greatest scientists you know of, of like read the bible as you know like those numbers are put in there not because they're true but because they're representative of like a specific scientific reference you know just like mm-hmm. the kabbalah you know yeah. at which numbers certain things are and you have like the seven horns the seven and then you have like all these different numbers that play out um and then that's combined with this interpretation of like combining these like mental images that represent, you know, some sort of meaning to us and trying to like either combine or like distort them to the point where you make, you make a grander point that is almost like equally obtuse that like will not make sense to anyone until, you know, it's meant for people to be able to like get something from it for thousands of years, like specifically. Well, like it's very interesting. You take like the Gospel of John too, which has like a bunch of numerology baked into it, and um, I think it's interesting. It's I think it's a really good point that you brought up, which is um, like if you read the Gospel of John and and you're just like, well, one first of all, the Gospel of John is like highly schizopilled. Let's just get, let's get that <laughs> part out of the way, but two, yeah. like like you said, young, like unless you're like looking. Or unless you have like this context of like the, it and not even context like you have to have like a numerical intuition, like if unless you like know what the numbers 
are alluding to or like they're pointing to um there's a layer of the text which you will just you won't get um which is like when they throw like the net into the water and they pull out the fish and i think it's like 153 fish or something like that that they pull out it's like why would they put the number if it's if it doesn't mean anything like obviously it has to right. mean something yeah yeah which you don't understand like as, like as a child or even it's just like a lay person reading it it's just a number you're like mm -hmm. oh they had like 40 days you know it's like oh it was all 40 days, you know and then like as you get older you're like oh patterns mean things you know like <laughs> yeah. oh this is all deeply coded like you know uh you know transmitted text is is what's interesting and i think that's also why like you know not many jews are allowed to enter into like the mystical traditions in judaism or like to read the zohar you know because there's a certain kind of like revelation in it and i think it's also important that like the deepest jewish like mysticism has to do with almost like a perfect number system right oh, yeah. like yeah. like kabbalah, kabbalah is like a, a very interesting number system especially for jews because hebrew has this like almost entirely mathematically precise alphabet you know and you can read hebrew forward and backward and in different patterns and so it, it allows for the best like you know cryptography if you were going to encode something you know if you're like you know just a really smart person or a god you know and you're trying to relay your long-term information it's very interesting that like when you get to the deeper like deeper mystical um elements of religions it often gets to numerology or mm -hmm. to, to the study of numbers which as you know we now know is like the basis of all modern society you know it's like the interpretation of numbers too I think that's why I'm like deeply sympathetic to like Platonism, not just like capital P Platonism, but like also like lowercase like mathematical Platonism. Like it just seems, yeah, it just seems true. <laughs> yeah, that shit seems true. Like Pythagoreanism also seems like pretty true, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like there's been like famous mathematicians in terms of history that like like George Cantor, right? Like thinking about infinity and thinking about God like just went insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, all kind of have... like many such numbers cases. and God like lead. <laughs> yeah, many such cases. <laughs> um, yeah, it's all, yeah. all I mean, leads you back that, to numbers. I mean, like even Isaac Newton, like at the end of his life was obsessed with uh, decoding revelations. Yeah, and like he, he was really he into alchemy. Yeah, well, he was he was a really good alchemist. He was yeah. like a, a, a really that's people don't really understand that, which you have to like buy books specifically about that for there to be like a real mention of his alchemical stuff. But he also like chased it. He was trying to find a dragon. I forget where, <laughs> but like he spent like five years of his life trying to find a dragon. But yeah, he's really interesting in alchemy because he studied it and he had many great inventions. But he also was just a nut. Yeah. Right. And. And the other thing is like Newton, uh, the the real like weird alchemy of of Newton is is this financial alchemy, in my opinion. And I think there's a guy, um, I should get his name. I think it's Ian Wright on Twitter who wrote an essay about this. This is where I'm like getting this from. And he makes the great point that like um, the alchemy of capitalism is kind of evident also in this story where Isaac Newton was allowed to be printed on a coin of that time mm -hmm. and so he would receive like a very small amount of like all the coins that were being transferred and so mm -hmm. he got like very rich 
through this strange financial alchemy of like putting his symbol on the coin and thus receiving like this part of value and then becoming like rich. And I think that's, that's like an interesting look into like, not just alchemy itself, but how alchemy is, is mostly like has to deal in many, many cases with like gold or like currency sterling at that time. And even now, like you can have alchemy with like financial, uh, you know, anything online in money, you know, like financial logic itself is, is very close to alchemical logic on almost all points. Mm-hmm. Or even like when right. people like appeal to him, like when people are like, oh, well, you're like postulating this force that's like an appeal to magic. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it is an appeal to magic. It is. Guy. Yeah. Um, Alchemy and, sci- and science go hand in hand. Like uh, my, my, I read something recently that's very fun uh, about like one of the first alchemists of all time. Um, she was a woman from the first century and her name was Mary the Jewess was her name. That's what they Ooh. called her. And she was like, a, she came up with many great inventions through alchemy, but she had this like deeply mystical belief system. And one of her quotes is when you combine the man and the woman, like then you will know the truth. And she also had this interesting uh, belief that's true scientifically, but here's how she understood. She's like, particles and like chemicals are sexually attracted to each other. Like they have a sexual attraction to each other. That's what binds them like together. Certain ones are like repulsed or sexually attracted to each other. So she was like kind of the first chemist in a certain way, as well as like the first alchemist. But her ideas were just through, you know, her own like mystical revelation that now we understand is like the scientific truth kind of like you know more established that's crazy i think that's how you you can't really like get rid of like me- like as much as you try you can't get rid of metaphysics from right. science yeah there's there's really there's really no way to get rid of metaphysics i mean Derrida makes a really good point about how with like every technological or scientific advance, there's like an equal and opposite reaction of a need for mystery is what he calls it. Like a need for some sort of like mystery or or like meaning that like, you can't just figure everything out. Like that would defeat the purpose of humanity itself. Like without the secret of anything, there's no reason to like, like if science just figured everything out, it would defeat the purpose of like human life, which is something deeply more mysterious and like secretive that involves this like process of you know with every science there has to be pseudoscience you know and with every science there has to be like an equal expansion of mystery in the minds of like humanity um, if you made it this far uh thank you for joining us uh you can follow us respectively each on twitter um but yeah you can also follow us at decode underscore cast and uh, i hope you guys enjoy it thank you Thank you. Thanks.